2: From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library, here in the wilds of Connecticut, this is Obscure, Season 2, Frankenstein. I am your host, your friend, your ear-lover, literary mansplainer-in-chief, and Georgianologist, Michael Ian Black. Spring is in the air here, a little bit. I mean, the temperatures have climbed a smidge, and you get into that mindset where, you, where your brain sort of fools itself into going thinking, "Oh, gee, spring is here. Spring is here," and then you think, "Oh, all the things I'm going to do in spring. Oh, God, I'm going to do so many things," which for me amount to all the things that I do the rest of the year, which is not very much. But you know, you can kind of smell it. There's a there's a mellowness in the air, something furtive. Is brewing. You know, you can you can sense little rabbit noses twitching somewhere out there in the woods, getting ready to scamper and hop and make more bunnies. You know, it's a, it's a, it's an exciting time, sort of. I mean, we're in early March. I don't know that spring is coming. It might get cold again. It might snow again. But the inevitability of the season is upon us, and with it, hopes are soaring. I don't know why, but hopes are soaring. And we're continuing here on Frankenstein. Last time we spoke, the big buddy was talking about this couple that he, this couple, this family that he loves, and his own uh, realization of his own monstrosity. And the last thing we said was, "I did not yet entirely know the fatal effects of this miserable deformity, and my hope, my own hopes, were springing." Because I thought, oh, good, you know, somebody's going to die. You know, and we know people are going to die, but I, you know, I thought maybe sooner rather than later. That would be terrific. Maybe young Felix, maybe young Agatha, maybe the blind guy, who knows. But one of the things I've been thinking about in between last time and this time, and I'll, just, I'll give you as quick an aside as I can before we get to the story, because I know you're all on the edges of your seat waiting for Frankenstein to begin is I've been reading a book called A Swim in the Pond in the Rain, or A Swim in a Pond in the Rain, by George Saunders. It's a writing book in which he analyzes Russian short stories of the late 19th century from a kind of craft, a craft point of view, a workman's point of view. One of the stories is by Turgenev. It's called The Singers. It's the second story in the book. And it's about 19 pages long, but it feels longer. It's about a singing contest in a remote bar in the middle of God knows where in Russia. Two local yokels singing at each other and at the bar flies at this little pub and one of them wins. Okay, it's not much of a story plot wise, but what makes it difficult to read is the endless description, endless description of these characters. Each dude at the bar gets pages of description and and nothing happens very much until almost the end of the story. When they have their little singing contest. And it reminded me of Frankenstein. Because we get so much description in this little book. Every nook and cranny of every day that the big buddy spends. we're, We're hearing about Frankenstein. We're hearing his whole life story. We're hearing Walton's whole life story. Everybody's whole life story. And meanwhile, not much happens. And it's tough. It's tough sledding. As tough as mushing dogs across the Arctic ice. So every time you get a little phrase like, I did not yet entirely know the fatal effects of this miserable deformity, like the little rabbit, my nose starts switching because I'm like, oh, something's going to happen, something's going to happen, hop, hop, hop. So we'll see. We'll see if something happens. As the sun became warmer and the light of day longer, the snow vanished, and I beheld the bare trees and the black earth. From this time, Felix was more employed, so it's spring is spring in there, too. You know, out there on the Alps. And the heart-moving indications of impending famine disappeared. Their food, as I afterwards found, was coarse, but it was wholesome, and they procured a sufficiency of it. Several new kinds of plants sprang up in the garden which they dressed, and these signs of comfort increased daily as the season advanced. The old man, leaning on his son, walked each day at noon when it did not rain, as I found it was called, when the heavens poured forth its water. This frequently took place, but a high wind quickly dried the earth, and the season became far more pleasant than it had been. Just like the big buddy, you know, we're emerging from the long cold winter here in the wilds of Connecticut. And the rains have not yet started, but they're coming. And, you know, soon the, uh, what are the first plants that come up? The daffodils? Is that what they are? Crocuses? I don't know. Some plant? Some plant will come up. Mary, what's the plant that comes up? Is it crocuses or is it daffodils, Mary? My mode of life in my hovel was uniform. During the morning, I attended the motions of the cottagers, and when they were dispersed in various occupations, I slept. The remainder of the day was spent in observing my friends. When they had retired to rest, if there was any moon or the night was starlight, I went into the woods and collected my own food and fuel for the cottage. When I returned, as often as it was necessary, I cleared their path from the snow and performed those offices that I had seen done by Felix." I afterwards found that these labors, performed by an invisible hand, greatly astonished them. And once or twice I heard them on these occasions utter the words, Good spirit, wonderful. But I did not then understand the signification of these terms. Again I say, as I did last time, you know, now he's not just bringing them firewood. He's shoveling the walk. You know, he's, he's taking out the little thing from the car and brushing off the windshields. You know, he's bringing in the mail. He's fixing the drain pipes. He's doing all this stuff. And the kids in the cottage are like, oh, how sweet. We got a good spirit living among us doing this stuff. Instead of going, who the fuck is trampling around our home? fixing up our shit. Especially because if it's as snowy as they say it is, they would have seen the footprints, wouldn't they? The the big buddy isn't covering up all his footprints. How could he? He couldn't. So they would have seen evidence of a monster among them. Or let's just say, you know, this good spirit, a great spirit, and here I use the term great to refer to size, a great spirit living among them like Bigfoot. Like Harry and the fucking Hendersons doing good deeds. I never saw Harry and the Hendersons, but it's a movie about a Bigfoot. And it becomes part of the family. Everybody loves the Bigfoot. Well, that's what the big buddy is. Except they haven't identified their own particular Sasquatch. They just know that good shit just keeps happening to them. And I guess maybe they don't want to rock the boat. But it would freak me out. I would be startled every morning to find my sidewalk cleared from snow. I'd be delighted, don't get me wrong. Because just like Felix, I don't like shoveling the snow. I don't like milking the cows. I don't like churning the butter, but I do it. And if somehow my butter got churned without me knowing how it happened, I would immediately suspect Sasquatch. And I don't know why they don't do the same. Although I guess maybe in the Alps, oh no, I was going to say they have Yeti, but I don't know that they do. That's an Asian thing or I don't know what it is. I don't know where Yeti comes from. just seems to be in the snowy peaks everywhere you look. There's a Yeti. So they got to be thinking, Yeti, what are you doing? Yari and the Endersons. I switched the H to a Y, because Yeti begins with Y. My thoughts now became more active, and I longed to discover the motives and feelings of these lovely creatures. I was inquisitive to know why Felix appeared so miserable and Agatha so sad. I thought, foolish wretch, that it might be in my power to restore happiness to these deserving people. When I slept or was absent, the forms of the the venerable Blind Father, the gentle Agatha, and the excellent Felix flitted before me. I looked upon them as superior beings who would be the arbiters of my future destiny. I formed in my imagination a thousand pictures of presenting myself to them and their reception of me. I imagined that they would be disgusted until by my gentle demeanor and conciliating words, I should fin- win first win their favor and afterwards their love. Conciliating, not conciliating, conciliating. And afterwards, their love. Well, that's how I envision it going too, right? You know, a Big Buddy knocks on the door and says, you know, and they scream. And, they're like, and Big Buddy's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who do you think's been shoveling your walk all this time? Me, Big Buddy. Who do you think's been bringing in the firewood? Me, Big buddy, who do you think's been churning your butter? Me, big buddy. And then they're like, oh, it was you the whole time. We love you, big buddy. And he's like, I love you too. And then they hang out together. That's how I envisioned it going. You know, he'd sit down with the blind father first and, and he'd say something like, "You know, play, play me your instrument, old man. I'm here to speak with you. And, and because the blind father couldn't see him, he'd be like, yeah, it's big buddy, sweet. And then when the kids came home, and they saw his gentle d- demeanor and conciliating words. They'd be like, we love you, big buddy," But, you know, it, it, that may not happen. And the fact that Mary Shelley is ahead of us as an author, and she's saying, look, I know what you guys think is going to happen, and it's not going to happen, that's good. You know, that's the, good, that's the mark of good writing. George Saunders playing with our expectations a little bit, you know. He says that in his book. Mary Shelley doing the same. Good stuff. These thoughts exhilarated me and led me to apply with fresh ardor to the acquiring the art of language. My organs were indeed harsh, but supple, and although my voice was very unlike the soft music of their tones, yet I pronounced such words as I understood with tolerable ease. It was as the ass and the lapdog footnote. The ass and the lapdog. Let's see what that footnote's all about. Um, turn to the back. Looking at our footnotes. What chapter are we in? Chapter four. The ass and the lapdog from La Fontaine's, and then here's a little French, L'année et la petite chien. When the ass sees the lapdog's master petting it as a reward for its friendly fawning. It tries the same thing, but gets beaten for its pains. Right. Well, the road to hell and all that. You know, you see the the little kid get rewarded for selling, for coming up to you and offering you a glass of lemonade there on the side of the road. You do the same thing. You're going to, you know, you're going to get honked at, you know, it's like the squeegee men. In New York City, if you remember that, if you're a certain age, you remember you used to drive into New York City and the squeegee man would come up and clean your windshield and ask for money. Well, if a little kid did that and came up and cleaned your windshield, you'd say, "Here, kid, have a quarter." Some crazy looking vagabond comes up and does it. You say, "Go get out of my way, Rudy Giuliani! Get this guy out of my way!" And Rudy Giuliani comes and gets him out of your way. That's why he's America's mayor. Love that guy. The pleasant showers and genial warmth of spring greatly altered the aspect of the earth. Men who before this change seemed to have been hid in caves dispersed themselves and were employed in various arts of cultivation. The birds sang in more cheerful notes and the leaves began to bud forth on the trees. Happy, happy earth, fit habitation for God's, which, so short a time before, was bleak, damp, and unwholesome. My spirits were elevated by the enchanting appearance of nature. The past was blotted from my memory, the present was tranquil, and the future, gilded by bright rays of hope and anticipations of joy. End of chapter four. Well, we can hear the foreboding, can we not? We know the creature's optimism is sure to be met like the ass by beatings from his master. So, we're thrilled. We're looking forward to that fatal encounter. Maybe he'll wipe out the whole family. That would be great. let's take a little break before we delve into chapter five, and we'll find out what bloody mess awaits us back in a moment. Back on Obscure, awaiting a bloody mess, hoping for a bloody mess, looking for a massacre, that never seems to come. But spring is coming. Hope is eternal, as they say. And who knows? Maybe this will be the chapter where a rampage begins. Frankenstein takes Felix's arm and beats the old man to death with it. Who knows? I'm just looking for horror at this point. You know, you give me the big windup, guys. I'm looking for, I'm looking for, the, for the pitch right down the middle of the plate. Something I could swing at. Something meaty I can get my teeth into. I'm mixing up metaphors, and I don't care. I'm not the writer here. Mary Shelley, you're the writer. You tell me. You tell me, Mary. What's going to happen? Well, let's take a break. And uh, when we come back, more reading of book. And we are back. Chapter 5. I now hasten to the more moving part of my story. Well, thank God! That's what we've been waiting for. 120 pages. I now hasten to the more moving part of my story. I shall relate events that impressed me with feelings which, from what I had been, have made me what I am. Good. Good. Let's see Axes lopping off heads, please. Spring advanced rapidly. The weather became fine and the skies cloudless. It surprised me that what before was desert and gloomy should now bloom with the most beautiful flowers and verdure. My senses were gratified and refreshed by a thousand scents of delight and a thousand sights of beauty. It was on one of these days, when my cottagers periodically rested from labor, the old man played on his guitar, and the children listened to him, that I observed the countenance of Felix was melancholy beyond expression. He sighed frequently, and once his father paused in his music, and I conjectured by his manner that he inquired the cause of his son's sorrow. Felix replied in a cheerful accent, And the old man was recommencing his music when someone tapped at the door. Bum, bum, bum! Who could it be? Is it the tax collector? Or is it the grim reaper himself, shrouded in his cloak? Who came, chipped, topping tapping at the door? We do not know, but we know it forebodes evil. Evil! It was a lady on horseback. Oh, so it wasn't uh, the... uh, grim reaper at all it was or the tax man it was a lady on horseback accompanied by a countryman as a guide the lady was dressed in a dark suit and covered with a thick black veil oh maybe it is the grim reaper after all agatha asked a question to which the stranger only replied by pronouncing in a sweet accent the name of felix her voice was musical but unlike that of either of my friends, on hearing this word, Felix came up hastily to the lady who, when she saw him, threw up her veil in I beheld a countenance of angelic beauty and expression. Her hair of a shining raven black and curiously braided, her eyes were dark but gentle although animated her features of a regular proportion and her complexion wondrously fair each cheek tinged with a lovely pink well just getting back to saunders for a second okay cuz look i mean this is this is saunders hammer and nails shit in action right here okay i now hasten to the more moving part of my story great we know something's going to happen now we're excited we're leaning it, we're leaning forward on the jack jack memorial reading couch and true to form, you know, they're sitting there. Felix is sad. There's music playing. What's wrong? Nothing. I'm fine, Papa. I'm fine. Then a knock at the door. It's the hackiest of um, bum bum bumps. you know? Bum-bum-bum. A knock at the door. Some rising action. Some new thing happening. And then it's a lady. Okay, She's in a black veil. Oh, that's a clue. And then we get a little too much description. And suddenly, the air has gone just a little bit out of the tail. We don't need to know. Like, okay, she's, she's beautiful. She's got dark hair. Fine. That's all we need to know. I don't need to know every cheek is tinged with pink. I don't care. Just tell me what is happening. Felix seemed ravished with delight when he saw her. Great. We could have skipped that whole thing on uh, her gentle, although animated, her features of a regular regular proportion. You don't need to say her features are of a regular proportion because I'm going to assume they're of a regular proportion unless you tell me otherwise, right? I don't need her complexion to be wondrously fair if I know she's already got angelic beauty. You know what I'm saying? Cut, 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 cut. Okay, look, who am I to, to cut Mary Shelley? Well... I'm the guy devoting, what, 150 episodes to reading old books. That's who I am. I'm the guy spending 20 words describing one. So who the fuck am I, a hypocrite? A hypocrite through and through. Felix seemed ravished with delight when he saw her. Every trait of sorrow vanished from his face, and it instantly expressed a degree of ecstatic joy. So he's gone from melancholy to ecstasy in... in, you know a page of which i could hardly have believed it capable his eyes sparkled and as his cheek flushed with pleasure and at that moment i thought him as beautiful as the stranger she appeared affected by different feelings wiping a few tears from her lovely eyes she held out her hand to felix who kissed it rapturously, and called her, as well as I could distinguish, his sweet Arabian. What? Oh, wait, what? She called him her sweet Arabian? Okay. She did not appear to understand him, but smiled. He assisted her to dismount, and dismissing her guide, conducted her into the cottage. Some conversation took place between him and his father, and the young stranger knelt at the old man's feet and would have kissed his hand, but he raised her and embraced her affectionately. So we have a mystery. You know, Felix is, is rapturous, and she bends down to the old man. She has a, a horse and a countryman. She's got a guide, and so she's got at least a little bit of money. She's not, you know, she's dressed okay, and but she's she's... Giving some respect to the old dude, fine, I soon perceived that although the stranger uttered articulate sounds and appeared to have a language of her own, she was neither understood by nor herself understood the cottagers. They made many signs, which I did not comprehend, but I saw that her presence diffused gladness through the cottage, dispelling their sorrow as the sun dissipates the morning mists. Felix seemed peculiarly happy, and with smiles of delight welcomed his Arabian. Agatha, the ever-gentle Agatha, kissed the hands of the lovely stranger, and pointing to her brother, made signs which appeared to me to mean that he had been sorrowful until she came, which we know to be true. Some hours passed thus, while they, by their countenances, expressed joy, the cause of which I did not comprehend. Presently I found, by the frequent recurrence of some sound which the stranger repeated after them, that she was endeavoring to learn their language, and the idea instantly occurred to me that I should make use of the same instructions to the same end. The stranger learned about 20 words at the first lesson. Most of them, indeed, were those which I had before understood, but I profited by the others. As night came on, Agatha and the Arabian retired early. When they separated, Felix kissed the hand of the stranger and said, Good night, sweet Safie. S-A-F-I-E, Safie. He sat up much longer, conversing with his father. And by the frequent repetition of her name, I conjectured that their lovely guest was the subject of their conversation. Well, yeah. Big Buddy, come on, what else are they going to be talking about? Some stranger shows up from a, from a strange land, Felix is overjoyed to see her. She doesn't speak the language, they don't speak her language. You know, it's out of the blue. What the hell else do you think they're talking about? Grow up, Big Buddy. I ardently desired to understand them, and bent every faculty towards that purpose, but found it utterly impossible. The next morning, Felix went out to his work. And after the usual occupations of Agatha were finished, the Arabian sat at the feet of the old man and, taking his guitar, played some airs so entrancingly beautiful that they at once drew tears of sorrow and delight from my eyes. She sang, and her voice flowed in a rich cadence, swelling or dying away like a nightingale of the woods. So, you know... Not only is she a looker, but she can play the guitar. The girl might have a future as a rock and roller, you know, as a, uh, as a pop star, a Rihanna, if you will. She could really do something with that. You know, you learn a few chords, you sing a few songs, the next thing you know, you're on the cover of Rolling Stone. Safie, the stranger from beyond, playing, playing the guitar and singing the songs. This, I think I f- see a way out of their poverty. You throw that shit up on Bandcamp, you make a little video, you get some influencers to gram about it, next thing you know you got a music deal. When she had finished, she gave the guitar to Agatha, who at first declined it. She played a simple air and her voice accompanied it in sweet accents, but unlike the wondrous strain of The Stranger. The old man appeared enraptured and said some words which Agatha endeavored to explain to Safie, and by which he appeared to express that she bestowed on him the greatest delight by her music. The days now passed as peaceably as before with the sole alteration that joy had taken place of sadness in the countenances of my friends." "'Safie was always gay and happy. "'She and I improved rapidly in the knowledge of language "'so that in two months I began to comprehend "'most of the words uttered by my protectors. "'In the meanwhile, also the black ground was covered with herbage "'and the green banks interspersed with innumerable flowers, "'sweet to the scent and the eyes, "'stars of pale radiance among the moonlight woods.' The sun became warmer. Then, yes, we, we know what spring is like. The nights, clear and balmy, and my nocturnal rambles were an extreme pleasure to me, although they were considerably shortened by the late setting and early rising of the sun, for I never ventured abroad during daylight, fearful of meeting with the same treatment I had formerly endured in the first village which I entered. So, you know, again, don't you feel like all the momentum kind of being sucked out? Here comes the stranger. They're happy the stranger's there. Now she plays guitar. Now we're talking about nocturnal ramblings again. While I improved in speech, I also learned the science of letters as it was taught to the stranger, and this opened before me a wide field for wonder and delight. <sighs> okay. I'm going to, I guess I'm going to stop. I could keep going. But like, there, I felt like there was such momentum there for a second. And then the rug got pulled out. And here I am, you know, on the floor again, tapping my fingers, going, come on. But look, we began with talking about Turgenev's singers. Now we're on Shelley's singer, the mysterious Safi, who has shown up from Parts Unknown. Um Bolt singers, Turgenevs, and Shelley's produce tears of wonderment, delight, enchantment, and so on and so forth. So, you know, I guess we're grateful for that. But like in Turgenev, there's just too much talking, not enough doing. Do, baby, do. Get out there, do some shit. But, you know, it's just not Shelley's way. You know, we've come this far with Shelley, we're going to keep going to the end. And, uh, you know, we know things are going to turn bad with safety. We don't, we just don't know in what way. We don't know whether it's going to be the big buddy's fault. We don't know if it's going to be Felix's fault. We don't know who she is. And like, it just seems like, you know, we could be a little bit further along in understanding what's going on, who's what, what's, what's where, what's who, who's why, who's on first. We just, we just don't know. But look, at, at least something happened. You know, she said, here's the more moving part of the story. Well, something moved a little bit not a lot. And uh, so we conclude. Um, I was just rubbing my nose and, you know, I've said before, look, I'm almost 50, right? Well, guys, I awoke this morning with one side of my nose, uh, what my right nostril, essentially the outer banks of my nostril festooned with a single zit, very painful. And so I've been rubbing out. I just did it again. i have been kind of rubbing it You know, the way you do when you have a wound. Like, just, like, right, like, you know, there's the tip of your nose. Two o'clock from the tip of my nose. Just a a big, festering zit. Like, I'm too old. I'm too old to be suffering from infirmities of adolescence. Uh, You know, I'm arthritic at this point. I should not be getting zits, and I should not be getting them on my nostril, of all places. Come on! A stranger knocked on my door. It was a zit. And it's annoying. Look, it's not enough to deter me from the wonders of spring. The rabbit noses are twitching and so is my own. Theirs from the scent of good things growing in the earth. Mine from a zit. Mine from a zit. So what are you going to do? Look, we're making our way through. We're making our way through the world slowly, just like Big Buddy, you know? we're, We're cooped up in the hovel with him. And we're just waiting and we're just waiting. That's all. We're learning the language, and we're waiting. We met Safie. Great. Great. You know, if she wanted, what she could have done is had a little sex scene. She could have had a little sex scene between Felix and Safie, because it seems like maybe they're in love. That would have been something, a little erotica, you know? We know Mary Shelley's into orgies. A little erotica would have been fine. She had one orgy that we know of. Maybe there were more. I don't know. But she's a free lover. That's her whole thing. That's what I'm learning about Mary Shelley and the and, and Percy Shelley and, you know, all the Shelleys of the time. Free love, free booze, opium, heroin, whatever. Like, get your rocks off. What else is there to do in the 18th century? Get your rocks off. She could have had a little getting your rock off thing going on there with Safie. You know, they wandered out to the garden before they knew it. They were tumbling around in, in, in the carrots. But... You know, she didn't. She showed restraint. I suppose that's admirable. All right. Next time, hopefully, something will happen with the musical safety. She'll get a record deal. Uh, they'll go on tour. It'll be exciting. There'll be arenas. And then we'll really get into the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But until then, I wish you adieu. Obscure Season 2, Frankenstein, is produced by Robin Lynn, Mary Shimkin, Jennifer Brennan, and myself, Michael Ian Black, recorded in places as far and wide as California and the wilds of Connecticut and spots in between. Original music by Craig Wedren. Join us at patreon.com slash Michael Ian Black, where starting at five dollars a month, you can support this podcast and get access to all kinds of obscure goodies, including early episodes and writings and musings. There's also bonus podcasts. There is our semi-regular book club. All of it can be yours at patreon.com slash Michael Ian Black.